0: One, two, three, four.
1: Hey y'all, this is Seba. The Southern Fried Witch, and this is episode 53 of season two, and today we have a very special guest. I'm going to let them introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about them.
0: Hi, I'm Dasos Croson. I'm a druid, a um, multimedia artist, a uh, weaver, and a spinner. I'm currently filming a YouTube series called Swamp Craft. I'm also the owner of Reset20 Studios, which is a multimedia art studio, and I have a, an Etsy shop, Reset20.
1: And your specific craft that you do, the spinning and the weaving, you want to talk about what that is?
0: I spin fiber into yarn, mostly on a wheel, but I, I also work a lot with spindles. Um, I teach spinning and mostly on spindles when I teach. And then I also weave on a rigid heddle loom that currently I'm working on uh, a couple looms, uh, shack loom, and then one that I built from scratch.
1: Wow. Okay. So that is the automatic lead. And I want to get to Dessus is you're building something like that from scratch. Where did you, how did you get involved in this? Is this part of your history?
0: Overall started just being artistically minded, uh, kind of, very young. my mama was a crafter uh, and an artist and she would um, she'd take me to craft shows and she could basically pick something up, look at one side, turn it around, look at the other and set it down and then go home and make the thing. And I kind of learned how to do that from her. and um, I, re- I really haven't had a lot of direction for what to do with that until about four or five years ago I was struggling with addiction and uh, I got sober. And uh, as part of my recovery journey, I have really kind of dove headfirst into handcrafted goods. Basically, it largely boiled down to facing sobriety and thinking, if I'm not using, what am I going to do? And I found something to do. And that ended up being spinning and weaving anything I can get my little grubby mitts on.
1: So would you say it's a healing kind of craft?
0: That's what it's become about for me is is sharing the healing that I find in it and trying to not voice that on other people, but definitely share that with other people. Because I think that there is a lot there that uh, isn't really considered. Starting with concepts like art therapy, but really getting people to use their hands, getting people to engage physically with the act of creation, that in and of itself can be a very healing experience.
1: Yeah, I agree. And that, that sort of does bleed into my question that I wanted to get to, and that is, how does your magic or energy, whatever word you prefer there, how do, do you see that as getting woven and spun into your craft, or does it?
0: Well, um, for me, my magic is a decidedly low magic. If, if you think of like high magic as ceremonial, I practice a very folky magic, and um to a point that I really like your concept of witchifying damn thing, as you say it. Yeah. That's what I try to do. You know, every every pot of soup that I make is a potion. Every blanket that I make is a protection spell. To me, it's about crafting mindfully. It's about engaging in a holistic way with my art, with any activity that I'm doing, whether it's making, you know, a scarf for someone's Christmas gift, or whether it's making dinner for my family that's magic.
1: I agree. And these are often things that people will wear and therefore they can actually wear that energy, you know, and usually the things that I think of when I'm thinking about your work are things to wear, to feel cozy, to be warm, to feel snuggly, feel protected. And do you find that energy sort of getting woven in like that as well?
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, most beginner witches are familiar with the, you know, by knot of one, the spell's begun. By knot of two, I make it true. A crochet hat has over 800 stitches in it. That's an opportunity to work 800 prayers into an item. I just recently finished uh, a baby blanket for my godchild that I actually shared in the Bat Family Facebook group. And you better believe every stitch in that blanket is a prayer for my godchild's protection and happiness. That's how I protect my godchild is not just by praying, but also by making a blanket that will literally keep him warm at night.
1: Yeah, I, I love this because, you know, th- this kind of work is one of the oldest kinds of expressions of witchcraft in the world. And I love the, the poem you just recited. My grandma used to say that one. And she made me, what we called at the time in the 70s, an Afghan. Um, mm-hmm. When I was young, I really didn't identify as a female. We didn't have a support for that. We didn't have a lot of understanding of what I was going through. And I really didn't want to have the pink lace room that my mother insisted upon. <laughs> I wanted what I considered more earthy colors. And I was told that they were boy colors. Sorry to go a little off-road, but that's what happens when we're talking together. And my grandma came to me and she said, all right, baby, what colors? And I said, brown, like rusty orange, cream, and blue. And I still have that, Afghan. It tears me up to talk about it because when I wrap it around me now, regardless of where my journey has taken me in my own identity, all I feel is acceptance of whatever I want to be. And so I do think that that kind of olden magic of giving comfort is not just, and warmth and protection is not just against the elements, but also the things that go bump in the night and the harshness of the world, like my grandma did for me. I kind of feel that that's what you were doing also in your work.
0: And that's, you know, that's a magic that lasts, even after your grandma passes, that is there to carry on that protective magic. In her stead, and you know, one day I'll be gone, but my godchild will still have that blanket.
1: I also saw that picture. Um, for everybody listening, the Bat Children uh, Facebook group is for the Patreons, and Dussos is is one of those patrons, and I love it. Was it a Goblin hat? Did you call it a Goblin hat?
0: Yes, a Goblin hat.
1: I was thinking to myself, okay, I have to get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so. But on the heels of that, I, let me ask you, do you do any kind of cleanse or cleaving from the energy? Obviously not in this case, your got to but
0: I think, you know, like if, if I occasionally set up a merchant booth and, and sell my stuff, you know, and I think in, in a lot of those cases, I, I try not to put unwarranted energy into what I'm making, but, you know, things that I make like. I make crocheted uh, witch hats. And those I I kind of, I put a bit of energy into, but I also sell them at a very witchy venue where that's, you know, a welcome warranted thing. But when I'm at a a booth selling spindles or whatever tools or, or finished items, I probably haven't tried to put too much energy into those as far as magically goes.
1: Yeah, that makes sense though. Where do you source your your materials? And do do you work with wool? Where where do you source them?
0: I have a few different sources. A, a couple of uh, small farmers here in America. I'm in Florida on the Space Coast, so there's not a whole lot of shepherds around me to buy from. Although there are some Florida cracker sheep, I don't like working with Florida cracker wool. It's not a good spinning wool. I tend to. There's a couple in America that I I buy from, but then there's also a couple in Wales. And um, there are a few breeds that I just, I have a soft spot for. They need people to buy their wool for those breeds to keep being raised. Otherwise, these conservation breeds are going to die out. And so that's something that I I feel is worth supporting. I buy some from Wales. And then um, I also work with cotton and silk and with cotton i'm really selective about where i get cotton from because cotton even just raw cotton tends to rely in an outsized way on prison labor and so that's something i try to avoid is if i'm buying cotton i want to know that the farmer i'm buying it from grew it himself and can account for the labor that picked it
1: That's a critical designation for your work, I think. Um, By the way, I didn't know that. I guess I never considered that. Slavery
0: never officially ended in the U.S. It just changed shape. With the passage of the 13th Amendment, uh, slavery was allowed in cases of prisoners. There's a lot of ways in which our society never let go of unpaid labor. And unfortunately, the cotton industry remains one of them.
1: Right, you know, um, some of the other weavers I've been talking to, they are very concerned with their sourcing, uh, and very concerned with keeping things out of landfills, but also worried about where they're getting stones, where they're getting dyes, and to me, that really does matter quite a bit because I'm I'm a pagan witch, and I've heard recently you don't necessarily have to be one; you can just be a witch, but the pagan part of my experience. It necessarily means that I already am very connected to nature and the world, the earth itself, not the world at large. So that does matter. Have you ever traded with anyone, any of these uh, folks with the wool? Have you ever done any trade with them?
0: Not with my wool suppliers, but um, I do have several local artists around that we, we engage in a lot of bartering. One thing that I am very blessed to have is access to a fiber artist co-op, which are a lot more common than people might think. So if you don't know if you have one, look and see if you've got a co-op nearby because co-ops are amazing. Lots of people with equipment that they might be, you know, aging out of using or trying to rehome for really cheap. So Things like that and and bartering have been a huge blessing as far as getting access into the world of working in fiber.
1: Right. And that helps to do one of my favorite things, which is to, you know, fry the patriarchy and thwart capitalism. So <laughs> I love trade among makers and crafters and weavers. I, I love that. What are your thoughts, though, on the difference between mass production I mean, they seem evident, but I didn't know if you wanted a statement on that difference between that and handcrafted goods, especially when people are rushing out around the holidays.
0: I think both have their place. I, I engage in a bit of mass production myself. I have a, a 3D printer and, um, there are a few components that I mass produce to make my, um, my drop spindles and board games, but. Um, You know, mass production can have its place, but I do think that it's important for us, whether a person considers himself an artist full time or not, I think it is important for us as individuals to remain connected to the creative process. So I think, you know, I think that there should be handmade things. I think that there should be artistically crafted things just because those are important activities for us to engage in for our own health.
1: I think you bring up an important point, though, that sometimes we just, there's no way around it for mass production. And one of the things I gave up in 2022 was uh, white sage. And what that meant for me was that, and there are reasons for that, but what that meant for me was that I needed to grow my own green sage, which is also medicinal and wonderful and local and I know that when I'm using something like that, I get a better magical response because of the deeper connection, if that makes any sense. There's just a whole lot less gap between, you know, my magic and the craft and the end product.
0: And that's one thing that I'm going to be getting into on my uh, YouTube series is basically swamp craft is going to be sometimes artsy, sometimes witchy, always crafty. All art can be magic. All magic can be art. And let's take those ideas to every extreme that we can. Because, you know, again, going back to the simple chord spell, how much more meaningful would your chord magic be if your chord was made with the exact shade of the exact color that you wanted spun clockwise or counterclockwise as you need it? paired with other colors and plied together into a more complex cord if you wanted to. You know, there are so many opportunities to get more involved and take a more mindful approach to any magical activity.
1: Right, which is very much witchifying every damn thing in your life to be able to say, this can be magical too. Yeah. Um, You know, when I was talking to Hackraft Farm, one of the things she does is, The dyeing, the woding process that she does, which is a lot of those are natural dyes on her land and her farm. She'll pick certain moons, certain holidays, uh, sometimes in the rain, in a thunderstorm, just all these different, I suppose, situational environments and intent. And you're right. Imagine a cape, for instance, that was dyed under those situations for a very particular purpose. Do you have any advice to anyone who might consider doing your kind of work or that is already but is just beginning? Do you have any advice?
0: It's not hard to get into and it's worth doing badly. If that's where you have to start, start there and keep doing it because you will improve. My first set of spindles were pencils pushed through rubber furniture casters, like the little rubber discs that you put under a chair's feet to keep from sliding around. I couldn't afford drop spindles when I first wanted to start spinning. If you want to do it, it's accessible. And it's worth getting in at the very bottom level if that's where you have to start. Because you do improve with repetition. You do improve with practice. And I never expected my skill to get to where it is now. And it's, I'm still to a point where people compliment my work. And I feel like a lot of imposter syndrome, because I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just a newbie. I've only been doing this. And then it's like, oh, wait, okay, three years. You know, <laughs> okay, maybe I have some skill. But I didn't start there. And it's been worth the three years that I've put in.
1: Can I ask you a question? I've heard before about weavers or crocheters or even quilters that they drop a stitch on purpose or leave in a, a flaw for a significant reason. Is that true or is that lore? I do it because,
0: you know, and this goes to the energy question that you asked me earlier is you're feeling things when you're working, whether you're, you know, sitting in a waiting room room. You know, a lot of my crochet work happens in waiting rooms and lobbies. And um, I can be working on my crochet, but I'm also thinking about my day. And maybe I'm stewing over that guy that cut me off in traffic, you know. And I can be thinking whatever I want to think while I'm working on a blanket. And I can be putting my prayers and everything into it. But I'm also putting that irritation with that guy in traffic into Mm -hmm. it, too. So I want to kind of like break that off. And a great way to do that is to slip a stitch. Oh, my god. Or, you know, just say, you know, let's let's not put all of that in. And then there's also the approach that, you know, anything made perfectly runs the risk of hubris. And so, you know, <laughs> we know how that went for Arachne, right? So maybe we don't, you know, maybe we appreciate the talents that we have, but we don't try and, and show off too much or show up too much.
1: Well, that kind of ties into this thing I've been keeping in my heart ever since I was really young, and it's the concept of fucked up beautiful. Uh, For me, if something is too perfect, it loses its beauty. I need that flaw. I need that one flaw to tell me it's okay for us not to be perfect.
0: Too closely approached the clinical. (laughs)
1: Exactly. And then it just becomes devoid of anything that I could feel like I could live in. But I did not know that. That is brilliant, though, to be able to kind of cut that energy off at that source right there for that moment. And that tells a story, doesn't it? Because weaving is telling a story. That drop stitch, that or is it called a slip stitch? That little almost permanent and purposeful flaw, it tells a story as the greater whole. And I think that's wonderful. How do you tell stories? Do you have any stories about your craft that you've done that were important to you, like a favorite piece you've done?
0: Well, actually, uh, as I'm a druid, uh, the the first degree of of my training really concerned the bard, uh, the bard's arts. And that includes, you know, writing, singing, storytelling. That has really gotten me motivated a lot in my crafting. Uh, one of my favorite stories going back to being a little kid was Rumpelstiltskin. And uh, it's kind of like surprising to nobody that I ultimately came around to spinning yarn because I, I used to have my bicycle flipped upside down in the backyard, trying to feed pine needles and grass into it, trying to figure out <laughs> how to spin. Gold from straw with my upturned bike, and um so getting into spinning I've actually refined a performance of the Rumpelstiltskin story from his perspective that I I like to do in character. I'm I'm working on getting that recorded, but I also I like folk tales. I like myths. One item that I'm working on right now, which I think once it's done, it will retroactively be my favorite item. But um, I'm working on a, a piece to go with the English folktale mossy coat, which is kind of a World War I era English take on the Cinderella story. But I think my f- current favorite piece that I have done is a uh, hooded cape that you can see on my Instagram if you go back a ways, the uh, blue, green, and purple. It was my first finished garment that, that I had worked from wool I'd spun the yarn, I crocheted it and sewed it all together and had the finished product. And it's it's incredibly heavy. It's very small. Uh, when when I wear it, it's like a hood and enough of a cloak to just cover my torso. But it's actually like eight pounds of wool uh, because I didn't know what I was doing. And I spun this just obnoxiously bulky yarn with the wool that I had. And so it's it's got a lot of heft to it. And I don't know. It's it's a funny story to tell when when I wear it and people ask about why on earth is this thing so heavy.
1: That's just back to that beautiful flaw, though, right?
0: <laughs> it was. I was so determined to have this this hooded cape, and I made my hooded cape, but it's ten like almost ten pounds.
1: <laughs> God. Well, do you see the the druidry work that you are already you know deeply embedded in and, and learning and loving? The chanting, the the songs, the beat of some of that work. Does that come out in in your own craft? I would say in
0: in some of my crafts, definitely. With the with the spinning, I, I like to work along with music. And with weaving, there's moments when you're working on a weaving project where things can get a little bit tedious and um, like warping up a loom is the process of taking half of your threads that you're going to be working with and putting them onto the loom itself to create your warp. And then weaving is when you add the weft threads in. And um, warping is best done with two people because it can be such a boring process. It's not necessarily hard, but it is boring. And so it's good to have two people working on warping up a loom. And that is a great time to sing songs together, to share stories with one another, to gossip. And there's definitely the bardic arts in those moments. To kind of reiterate what I said earlier, I think it's important for everybody to create, even if you don't think that you're artistically inclined. It's worth putting a little effort into every now and again just to just to get in touch with that part of yourself. But we are all inherently innately creative and we all deserve the opportunity to express that.
1: I also wanted to kind of jump in here and say, I don't know how much of my story you know, but the first time I ever wrote anything using my words as art, I think I was 15. I was in a detention facility for a year. I was very angry with the world and very broken by the world and uh, childhood trauma. And there was a young teacher who was standing at the, you know, how you have to go to class even if you're in kid prison. And that young teacher kept on assigning a narrative. And I kept wadding it up and throwing it at his face (laughs) because I like solitary. Um, Eventually, he just unwadded it, laid it back down and leaned in and said, If you don't write it down, no one's going to ever hear you. That started my life as a writer and eventually led to podcasting because I wanted my barbaric yelp. I wanted it out of me and into the world to see if it would help anybody else, you know. And I think in a lot of ways, these other weavings that we do, whether it be silversmithing or spinning, carpentry, whatever it is. It's the same premise. It's the way we weave ourselves into the world and express everything from anguish to pain to love, whatever it may be. And I think you're right. I think that's worth doing, even if it's badly at first. I don't know how many weavers or spinners or whatever crafters that you know who come from some kind of trauma, but
0: I was just going to say, the last couple of weeks on your show, you've you've kind of revisited the point that there are many of us who got into magic because it was the only tool that we had in the situation that we were in. It was the only way of accessing power that was really left to us. And that really resonated with me and really underscores the the point that I feel is that, you know... Art in itself can be a magical act. Art can be subversive. And in in some cases, art can be the only language that a person has to express themselves. And there are a lot of communities right now that are traumatized, whether it's financially or politically or just, you know, some of us are exhausted. More of us than would realize or admit it need catharsis of some kind. And that is where I feel like more people need art. And even if you start doing it badly, it's worth doing because it's a great place to find catharsis.
1: I completely agree with you. I really do. I wanted to learn how to paint. I've always wanted to learn how to paint. And it was one of my patrons, Christopher, who sent me watercolors and uh, a new like watercolor pad of paper to just be able to play. And that's what he said. He said, just play, you know. And do it in a magical way and don't expect anything to come out of it. And it's really working for me. <laughs> um, so I think also our intent, if we we're only focused on, I suppose, the financial gain that we'll receive from our art or our craft, we, we could kind of miss the point. Not to ever say that I don't think we need support. We need that financial support. But there's something so much more personal and real about that kind of work that is worth doing, regardless of financial gain.
0: Part of the violence of capitalism is that it tells us that if it's not profitable, it's not worth pursuing. And uh, there have been way too many great ideas squashed because somebody who didn't have it didn't immediately see a profitable value in it.
1: It is a rebellious act in a lot of ways, isn't it? Creating art really is. And yes, you're right. It's one way to subvert all kinds of things. I guess for me, I also just wanted to say that my art and my way of expressing myself, the way I weave here in Weaver November, it's such a part of my own witchcraft. It's such a part of my magical sense of self that I don't know where it starts and I end anymore. Not really. And like my grandma's Afghan, part of her still here, you know? Part of her energy is always still here because of it. So no one can change that perception, regardless of if it made money or it didn't make money. No one can change the magical activity that she she made and left behind. And to me, that is the true rebellion, you know, the true resistance. I think that's a better word than rebellion, is leaving something of yourself behind and stomping your foot and saying, this is what I meant. This is what I wanted to say. Now, that's resistance as far as I'm concerned. And where we are today politically, we need a lot of that. Okay, I I think I've asked all the questions I wanted to, and I am so honored. I want to tell you that, that you came onto the show and shared something I think that's kind of private, but worth hearing about weaving and spinning and crafting and how we can do it with magic in mind. Beautiful work there. Can you tell everybody where they can find you, though? One more time.
0: Absolutely. I'm uh, at tropi- or at Druid Tropical on Twitter. And I am Dasos Crow Song on uh, Instagram or uh, Dasos3crows at gmail.com if you want to email. And um, thank you so much for having me. It's It's been an honor and a pleasure.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, y'all, that'll be it for today. And uh, next week will just be me. And I've got some new stories to weave for you. So y'all come back. Love you light chicken. Blessed be. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.